This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Amen. Good morning, church. How are you today? We're going to be in Galatians 5, if you want to open your Bibles to that and your devices. We'll get to that in just a moment. And we're going to talk some more about marriage. Let's move it over just a little bit. There you go. Thank you, bro. Good. Marriage is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not a race that uh, we run hard for a couple years and then hand the baton off to someone else to run the race. It is a marathon. We are committed and in the race for the long haul. Marriage is a relationship intended by God between a man and a woman to be a permanent bond of love, reflecting the, the love that Christ has for his people. Marriage does not demand perfection but it must be given a priority. We must be lifelong students of our spouse because life changes us, doesn't it? Aging changes us. If you haven't found that out yet, you will. (laughs) Kids and grandkids change us. Culture can change us. A lot of things going against us there. Trust must be built and growth in our marriage should occur as the years click by. Our lives were designed to glorify God. Our marriages are to be a reflection of the gospel and God's goodness to us. So we must not lose sight of this. The primary purpose of marriage is to reflect God's glory. It is not about you. It is not about your happiness or your self-fulfillment. God created marriage and designed it with a specific purpose and plan. It's a covenant that is agreed upon for life and one that reflects to the world God's promise to be with us and to redeem us. It was established way back in Genesis 2, long before Mosaic Law and long before any church councils ever met to redefine things. Dan Allender has said that we must never be naive enough to think of marriage as a safe harbor from the fall. The deepest struggles of life will occur in the most primary relationship affected by the fall, which is marriage. This morning I want to address a few uh, critical elements of a healthy marriage. We're going to talk about things like setting priorities. How do we get things into our calendar and protect that? And then how can we build trust and, and see growth in our marriages? And for those who may be single today, dating, widowed or maybe even divorced. I believe many of these principles that I'm going to share, you can apply to your life and your relationships as well. So hang in there with us. Uh, Let's look first of all today at setting priorities and planning out our calendars. This tends to be a constant struggle for most people, managing our time. How do we fit all the things that we want to do into our calendars? Well, the short and truthful answer is that we cannot fit it all in. That's why we need to make some changes and some choices. And on top of that, technology wants to gladly soak up every spare moment that we have left. So if we are not intentional about centering our marriages on Christ, 
our priorities will jump out of order. And they usually move out of priority and order very slowly and subtly, usually uh, caused by good things that may be turned a little bit bad. For example, serving a church is, is a good thing. We encourage it. We train and equip people to do so. But over-volunteering will stretch you too thin and even dilute your effectiveness in your ministry. Working is a good thing. It's biblical, right? But overworking steals quality time from your spouse and your family. Providing opportunities for your children are great, but if it robs too much time away from your spouse, then priorities are again out of balance. Good priorities are easy to articulate on paper. It's, good, it's a good thing to have a plan to lay out things on the calendar. But the reality of life is full of gray areas and full of surprises. If we don't stand firm to our priorities, they're often swayed to a response to maybe who's the loudest and what's the most urgent instead of what or who is most important. So we have to set boundaries and abide by them the best we can and get things on our calendars. So how do we do that? I'm going to give you just uh, three very practical things um, that is not too difficult to list out, but you have to work on following through. First of all, priority number one should be starting with God first. Without him, everything else falls apart. Jesus taught it this way in Matthew 22 and verse 38. He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Everything radiates from the center, our identity in Christ. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. So we read his word. We meditate on it. We commune with him. We become intentional about our time with God. And man, you, you will need to protect that time because the enemy will do anything he can to distract you or rob you of that time with God. My morning typically starts around 5.30 with an hour with God before anything else happens. And on Sundays, about 4.30 or quarter or five. But I've made that commitment and that priority in my life for a long time. Priority number two would be love your neighbor. And you're like, well, what about your spouse? Doesn't that come next? Yeah. Loving your spouse is part of loving your neighbor. It starts at home. Because verse 39 of Matthew 22 says, love your neighbor as yourself. If anything hinders loving your spouse and family well, or stifles discipleship and worship in your own, own home, something has to be adjusted or eliminated. And I know many families that once the kids came along, it seems that the spouse is no longer a high priority. It becomes all about getting the best chance in life for the children, the best clothes, the best schools, the best sports teams, the best technology. They run hard every weekend to all the sports fields and music camps, etc. cetera. And, and we've done all that too when we were raising our kids. They run hard and they're so busy but sometimes they're too busy to bring kids to something like 3D Kids on Wednesday. Or Sunday mornings they can't come to worship because they have a game. We made that a priority. If there was a game on Sunday, we weren't there. 
where we switch teams. You figure it out, you work it out for your family. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying priorities starts at the top in this way. If they don't have time to do family worship at home because they're exhausted from the running, then that's not a good example. And when the kids are out of the house and off to work or college, the married couple have nothing left for each other. I see this all the time. They simply exist for the kids' sake, they say, if they even stay together. That is not God's plan for your marriage, church. The best example of love for your children is to have them see how much mom and dad are actually in love with each other. It makes the kids feel safe and secure. They feel loved and they feel valued. And men and women, if you don't keep the flame alive while you're raising the kids, you'll end up just being like two old grumpy people that condemn and criticize each other and those around you. So I would encourage you to invest in your marriage. Go to the conferences, go to the workshops, or watch them on Right Now Media that we provide for the whole church. Barb and I have done that for years. Read books on marriages. Talk about what you're reading with each other. We've provided resources for you this marriage month. Listen to podcasts. Do a small group study with your life group. Whatever it takes. But stay investing, keep investing into your marriage in those ways. And the third priority, because everything else kind of falls in this line, I'm just going to simply say enjoy God's grace and give him glory. Because we can get so focused on doing that we forget to simply be. Being present. Being present with the Lord so that you can be present with your spouse and your family. Just being together with your spouse, many would say, is good medicine for your marriage. There will always be more ministry to do, more work to do, more chores to do. I can never get back <laughs> the many hours. She's here. That's what makes this tougher. <laughs> that my bride has sat at home because of the call of ministry on our life. That required long meetings, going to the ER, sitting by bedsides, going to Dove House, whatever. And I don't regret any of that. It's part of my call to ministry. But I can't get those hours back, you see? But I can pay attention to it and do my best to balance out the best I can. And you have to pay attention to it. For it is God alone through his spirit who will call, convict, and produce the fruit that's in you and in your marriage. So we have to fight in battle. We have to fight for rest. We have to fight for margins and boundaries. We have to fight for the space that you really need to truly connect and communicate and love your spouse well. So sit down, put in all the things that you need for the year. Put in all the ministry events and responsibilities. Put in the family events, the school events, but don't stop there. 
Make sure you put in date nights and getaways. Our church is even helping you with that this month by providing care for your kids. Maybe you need to swap, uh, swap off with other young families to watch their kids so they can date, and then next time you switch so the kids are covered and you can go out. Perhaps the money isn't there to go out on an expensive date. I understand. Barbara and I have been there many times in the past, but we took the time to go to a park or take a walk together or something like that or plan a night at home without kids. It didn't cost any money, but it costed us some time to do that. Get creative. Do whatever you need to do without blowing your budget, but get those dates on the calendar. And if you come to the recommitment night on September 29th, you're going to hear some testimony of how some very busy young couples manage all of this. So it can be done, but you have to pay attention to it. Because marriage is a marathon, we have to manage our time well and be very intentional as to what and who gets our time. In a healthy marriage, we should be fully known and fully loved. This includes prioritizing the things that you value and fighting to protect time in order to accomplish this. It means no secrets from your spouse. It means incorporating and investing the important things into a normal rhythm of life. Make sure you say yes to the things that are most important to the boundaries you've set for your family and marriage. And this means you may have to say no to good things as well as the bad. This means when you do commit to someone for your time, you will be there on time, meaning your yes is a solid yes. You don't switch out that commitment either because something more fun or better has popped up after you committed to the other one. That's how you build trust. Being true to your word. Look ahead. Pay attention to what's coming on the calendar. If you're seeing you're going to be slammed this weekend, I mean, we had a lot of stuff going on. We had a wedding this weekend, and right after this service, we have a funeral. It was a slammed weekend. You look ahead so you can be proactive and prepare for those kind of moments rather than reacting all the time to your schedule and running behind all the time. Leave space for the unexpected, for the spontaneous, and for the difficult seasons. Many young couples today get married, and they say the reason they want to get married is they want to be happy and have good times together. Well, that's part of being married. It should be. (laughs) Why would you not want that? But you stay married because you learn how to endure hard times well, because you grow in those times. Uh, October 6th, Barb and I will have been married 44 years. And, yeah, it's a long time. Some of you guys aren't even that old in here. (laughs) In fact, a lot of you aren't. Um, But, you know, we've we've endured some tough seasons, hardship and grief. We've had some fantastic times together also. But our marriage, I think, is stronger and healthier now than ever before. And it's only because of God's grace. You see, we're still a work in progress. We still argue once in a while. We have our moments. But I I can honestly say that our love continues to grow and keeps stretching because we trusted the Lord in the good and the bad. And he has been faithful. He has been faithful. 
We said a vow all these years ago to each other on our wedding day to love, honor, and cherish one another for better or for worse in sickness and in health, and we've kept that vow best we could by God's grace and mercy upon our marriage. That leads us to the next vital topic that I really want to move the rest of our message into, and that's about building trust and growing as a couple. What does it look like to commit to daily change? How can you identify what one author calls weeds of wrong that need to be pulled up and uprooted in your marriage? How do you know what needs to be planted in your marriage? How can couples work together to build a strong bond of trust? We cannot have a healthy, God-honoring, mutually satisfying marriage without trust. An author said, in a fallen world, trust is the fine china of a relationship. It is beautiful when it's there, but it is surely delicate and breakable. Man, is that true? Trust is hard to repair when it's broken, but it can be restored. It is trust that helps you weather the storms, the differences that you have, the disagreements that every marriage faces. You see, uh, I think a way to explain this, keeping a healthy marriage and building trust can be compared to keeping a garden. Now, the garden season is winding down, the harvest is in and so forth, I get it. But for those of you who do gardening, we don't expect our gardens or our marriages to grow by themselves without any work and attention. Yet many believe they should just blossom and bloom because they're married now, right? Without the daily work of pulling up weeds and planting the right seeds. It's what uh, author Paul Tripp calls the sin of inattention. So let me ask you, does your marriage and your relationships Look like the garden that you admire when you drive by a beautiful home? Or does it look like the garden that shows neglect as if the owner may have moved? What does that look like? What are some signs of neglect so you can pay attention to? Well, maybe it's simply wanting too much too soon. I've seen many young couples buy the big house when they're in their 20s and 30s and then they're maxed out with the mortgage and it enslaves them to constantly pay the bills. Be a little more patient. Maybe uh, another sign is you're too busy to romance consistently. Can I just say this, church? If you are too busy to date your spouse, you are too busy. Something needs to change. I don't care if you're 19 or 99. You better be continuing to date your spouse and get it on the calendar. Maybe it's disagreeing over the little things that begin to build frustration and leads to conflict and then causes distancing from one another. Maybe you're too busy to share spiritual things, prayer, faith conversations, even God victories. Maybe you're too busy to do the little things. You know, the daily morning hug and kiss before you leave the house. Or little notes or cards to express I love you. Man, my wife is the queen of that one. (laughs) I opened up a little container that had veggies because we're trying to make that a priority too. Uh, 
and there was like little confetti X and O's left over from Valentine's that when I popped the lid, they went all over the table. It was embarrassing, man, because staff was right there. <laughs> and I just kind of blushed and said, that would be my wife. <laughs> but I love that, that she does that. Don't do that this week, though, baby. <laughs> Maybe it's actually saying, I love you, rather than assuming that they know that. Hmm. Maybe it's distance and coldness in intimacy. Author, an author wrote, sex is not the fuel of a good relationship, but it is the expression or fruit of one. Maybe you're just not as, as attracted to your spouse anymore. Maybe it's just uh, intimacy has become mechanical, unfulfilling, and less frequent. Whatever. These are all signs of neglect. If you identify with any, any of these you may have begun what is called a slow fade, a slow drifting away from where your marriage or relationship once was. See, when you drift, you drift toward isolation. And the devil loves to get you alone, and he loves to use his strategies, things like time pressures, work demands, economic anxieties, pride, kids, even grandkids. And we must continue to pursue one another intentionally. Because if you don't, someone else might. A healthy marriage stays healthy because by God's grace, the couple never stopped working on it. And they kept their eyes on Christ. I want us to look at Galatians chapter 5. Beginning with verse 16, you'll see here a common thread of all the actions that Paul lists about the uh, flesh battling the spirit. And that common thread is pride or selfishness. It lurks in every heart, and it's what breaks trust. It is the selfishness that tempts and seduces us all. If you look at verse 16 and following, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. See the battle that's going on there? These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, Paul says, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you look back two verses before that, in verse 14, you see Paul listing again, love your neighbor as yourself. You, you don't fix your marriage first horizontally. You fix it vertically. Change in your marriage begins with confessing your needs and trusting God to help restore and build and maintain and sustain your marriage. The biggest battles, I believe, in our marriage will not be with our spouse. It will be with the ones that you fight in your own heart. Most of the skirmishes with each other are caused by the deeper battle within our own heart. So we have to fight daily, not, not with our spouse, but with ourselves. 
Fight against pride and self-focus and emotions and cravings and desires. Whether you're pulling up weeds or you're planting seeds, it's not a one-time thing, but something that must become the lifestyle of your union together. You are not alone in this battle. Because God will fight for you at the place where the battle takes place in your marriage, which is your heart. He knows your hurts, your desires, your sin. He knows when you've broken trust. He knows you need transformation from the inside out. Because your marriage is not just a union of two people, it's of three. The same spirit that lives inside of you also lives in your spouse. And his presence is what will bring unity and wisdom and strength to endure. And because of grace, he will daily renew us and rescue us from ourselves. Hope for our marriage is not found in our spouse or trying to fix or change our spouse. It's found in Jesus Christ. The character and quality of marriage that is built around trust will also determine the character and quality of your intimacy. Many don't need a course in physiology. They need a course in theology. They need to know that hope is not found in just principles alone, but in the presence of the warrior spirit that lives inside of us. What does that look like? What does it look like to be a growing, healthy marriage and have trust? I think it's all wrapped up in verse 22 and following in Galatians 5. It's the fruit of the spirit. We should see these things in our marriage. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that should be being produced in our marriage. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. As we build trust, we need to understand it's readily given, but it's easily broken, and it's costly to restore but it can be restored. There is hope. Trust is inescapable in any relationship, particularly in marriage. It must always be built for any relationship to stay healthy. It has to be built, maintained, protected, and restored if it's broken. See, God not only calls us to change, but he also has already given us everything we need to make the changes to which he has called us to. So we should be growing as individuals and as a couple. So is your communication with your spouse free of hidden agendas? And is it motivated by the needs of your spouse? Trust requires admission of wrongs, saying I'm sorry, making commitments to change and grow, keeping short accounts, what do I mean by that? Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 speaks into this. It says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. You see, church, we are better sometimes at anger than we are at understanding. It's easier to demand than to forgive. 
but trust requires good communication, being honest with each other, being willing to talk and listen to each other, being vulnerable with one another. Your spouse should know you better than anyone. They should. Tell the truth to each other. Little white lies will empty out your love bank by taking little withdrawals at a time. Telling the truth builds emotional stability. It demolishes false assumptions and illusions. Keeping a part of you separate from your spouse is not full transparency and it's not healthy to our relationships. So let me give you a little pop quiz. A couple questions to consider in your marriage. I'll go quickly through these. Would your spouse say that you are good for your word and faithful to your promises? The Bible teaches us that sin blinds, and because it blinds, we do not know ourselves as well as we should. Your spouse's view of you will not be perfect without bias, but it will tend to be more objective than your view of you. Would you agree with that? Do you say things to others about your spouse that you have not first communicated with him or her? Oh, you got to watch that one. It's something we call marital gossip. It's a clear sign of the breakdown of trust. And to be honest with you, this is a danger in small groups and gatherings because it's sometimes shared in disguise as a prayer request. <laughs> you got to be careful. Do you share your hopes, thoughts, and desires and dreams with your spouse, or is it easier just to be quiet or share with someone else? Because you're kind of putting yourself out there. You're being more vulnerable when you do that. Here's two that might meddle a little bit. <laughs> your spouse should be able to look at your phone or computer at any time and not be surprised by any text or websites found. Do you have that kind of trust or do you need a little time to hit delete before handing it over to them? Do you ever wonder or question what your spouse is doing when not with you? The need to follow or track on GPS or cross-examine when they return home are indicators that you don't trust them. Trust comes from having nothing to hide. But let's be real, church. Do you have that kind of app for emergency purposes? Or is it because you don't trust where your spouse is? Are you comfortable being vulnerable with your spouse? Because it requires risk. Do you make excuses for failure to do what you have promised? Or are you ready to confess about it? Because giving excuses are toxic to trust. And trust demands humility. That's why a lot of people don't want to deal with it. Back to pride again. Two more. Do you listen well to your spouse and act on what you have heard? <laughs> demands and entitlement destroys trust. And here's one more. One of you is cooking dinner. Doesn't matter which one. And you get a text from your spouse saying, honey, I'm coming, I'm going to be late coming home. Something's come up at work. Do you trust your spouse for their word? Or does your mind begin to wonder of what is he or she really doing? 
These are all signs of trust being broken and signs of neglect. You see, trust must be built in your bank accounts, in your spending. And I'll just say, I don't know how you manage your money. I'm not going to meddle that much. But I would say one thing I would highly emphasize, don't have separate accounts. One pot of money. It's trust. If that trust is broken, then you have to work things out. My money is her money. Her money is my money. We're in this together as one. I think I said that right. I hope I did. <laughs> I got some smiles. I don't, maybe that didn't come out right. I don't know. But trust has to be built in bank accounts, in your spending, in your social activities, in your work relationships, and yes, in the bedroom. And when you build a marriage on trust, you're sharing all kind of emotions, all kind of personal feelings with the one that you chose for eternity. You see, you can cohabitate without trust. You can have relationships without trust, but you cannot have the intimate, vulnerable, mutually cooperative, one flesh union that marriage is intended to be without trust. Trust makes you feel safe and makes it safe to share your feelings and be real with one another, to speak honestly and to listen to the honesty of the other. It's about a commitment to mutual care. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I'll close with this thought and a prayer. Every couple has to make a choice to put a stake in the ground and start a new legacy with their marriage and family. You may have grown up in a, in a family where mom and dad loved each other. You, you saw great examples with some flaws like everybody has of a good marriage. And you were able to grab some of those principles and carry them over into your marriage. But I would say in a crowd this size, the majority here probably have come from many broken households, divorce households, whatever the case might be, where you didn't have a good example of marriage. And so you end up going into your marriage without a model to follow. And your marriage has suffered because of it. If that's you, the same thing that I'm going to share here applies. You can drive the stake in the ground right now and make the difference and say it's going to stop here. This long list of divorce, this long list of troubled marriages in my family, it stops with us because we're going to make it work with God's help. One of the greatest legacies you can give the next generation is faithfulness and fidelity in your marriage. Your marriage Pastor Matt said this last week, and I'll reiterate it, is a picture of the gospel to the watching world that is lost and dying. So my final question is this, church. What does the world see when they see your marriage? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, I ask that you would strengthen our marriages in this church, Father so that we can truly reflect the hope of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Lord, I pray that your spirit would give a nudge maybe to some of our couples this morning on things that they need to work on, things they need to confess, things they need to surrender to you, Lord. 
because you alone can save and restore and forgive. You loved us enough to send your son to die for our sin, to gain victory over sin and death. And you gave us the institution of marriage between a man and a woman as a way to understand your love for the church, your bride. So may we follow you and look more like you and be the example we need to be. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.